Abba Father, thank you for the way you show grace and all the kindness that you literally fleshed out in our lives today, causing your good pleasure to be accomplished, working all things together according to the counsel of your will. I ask for great wisdom right now to teach us about prayer. God has given us wisdom right now. Please get uh, Randy and Nedra back home safe and Dave and Joni and lots of folks that are out. Uh, encourage them as they go through training at crew. Thank you for what you've done in Sue and Harold's life. Pray that you'll draw Harold near to you and his boys as well. Uh, please, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, John 14, 8 to 14 is a paragraph in Greek. And we've been really digging in on the depths of this thing. And the, the emphasis tonight is going to be on those last two sentences, verse 13 and 14. And I want to take my time on this because uh, in my mind... I know I have personally struggled over these two verses and dealt with my own sense of frustration that why do I have so many prayers that go unanswered in my life? At least that seems to be the case. So much so that I would even say in a moment of transparency with you, I have more unanswered prayer than I have answered prayer in my life. Okay. Now, am I, am I asking for things far and great and, and dramatic, a lot of my prayers are that way. For example, I would not pray, dear Lord, if it's in your will, make the sun rise tomorrow. Just somehow make that sun come up. No, that's, to me, that is a silly, childish prayer. Uh, the universe is set in order. He created the heavens and the earth. And those physical laws of time and space and motion are in place. And you know, the sun's going to rise tomorrow and he doesn't need me to pray about it, right? But on the other hand, Azia um, Bibi, she's in prison in Pakistan. I've prayed for her uh, countless times, I guess. And I'm troubled, you know, because I believe if she's released, they will kill her. And so her life is actually sustained because she's in prison. And yet in prison, she's radically separated from her husband and daughters, her four kids. Mobs have already vowed they kill her the minute she's released. She'll be dead. So it seems like there's so many prayers like that that I pray that, are, that I just really struggle with. So I want to drill deep on this, and I want you to struggle with me. I don't know what your prayer life is like. You know? uh, can, I, can I be a therapist just for a second and give it? therapist commercial here. <laughs> I think there's a lot of deep psychological baggage associated with prayer, especially in the Western church. Because it, you know, if we're not careful, we get pulled into this idea that God is like a, a giant, wonderful, benevolent papa in the sky. <laughs> you know, he's this kind daddy papa and or, or a benevolent Santa Claus, and he's got this unending bag of blessings, and he just wants to give them to anybody who asks, you know. Uh, I remember certain charismatics that I knew, the, the word of faith folk, and, and they, would, they would conject and, and build this, these images that there's these giant warehouses. I kid you not, there are giant warehouses in heaven. Guess what they're filled with? Body parts, like brand new arms, brand new legs, brand new feet, eyeballs, 
uh, any particular part that might be cancerous on earth, and that if we would just have faith, true faith, that God would take that brand new body part that's in that warehouse just waiting to be shipped down to us by prayer and that leg lengthened, that leg restored, the blind eyes get to see a brand new set of eyes and, and, and they create this dynamic that it, it's kind of all my fault <laughs> that these prayers aren't being answered, you know? And if I just had faith and think of the warehouses that could be emptied and blessings poured out upon the earth, you know? So I've really wrestled with this stuff, and I want you to wrestle with me. But I want us to be real careful about attaching some unhealthy psychological baggage to this stuff. And that it's somehow our fault that God, that these prayer requests don't get answered, or it's somehow his fault that this stuff doesn't get answered, right? Um, we Americans just don't know how to handle suffering. We struggle with suffering. It's just not on the menu for us. It is in other countries. You know, those that name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. And they know it, and they've adapted to it. But on our menu and how we dial it up here in the West, nope. We don't have, we don't have a theology for suffering, or if we do, it's very poor. Okay? So, all right, let's, uh, let's look at this paragraph. Uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on the own initiative, but the Father abiding me, abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Heavy, heavy stuff. So let's dig into this. What I want to do is draw a big circle around it, culturally, historically, and then kind of hone in on, on the key ideas. So... Let's talk about uh, some background. Obviously, uh, John is, uh, you know, he's in exile, right? He's a very old man in exile. He wrote the Revelation, okay? We don't know exactly if he's exiled at the time of the writing of, of John, but he is an old man, and there's a great distance between him and the date of the resurrection, okay? John's gospel is written late, Okay, to the tune of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years late, that kind of thing. And so um, the question is begged, what about the background? What about the culture? Okay, what cultural backgrounds are? Now, this is what we know about prayer in Roman religion. Okay, typically when Romans prayed, 
they were engaging in a contract religion. Contract religion. In other words, we're saying to the particular deity, look, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. And it was very contractual, okay? To the point that uh, formulas were developed and protocols that had to be followed with precision. Oftentimes, when Romans prayed, they would pile up the names of the deities. There's even a historical reference where one particular Roman figure is praying and he's going through all these names, benevolent one, kind one, merciful one, all-knowing one, and any other name by which you think is your favorite name, that's the name I'm going to ask, right? He's just stacking up these names and even admits whatever one you want to be called, whatever your favorite is, thinking that by doing that, we're going to somehow grab that deity by the ears and get what we want. Now, their protocols, uh, Russ, were so strict that there's an actual historical event where a priest was engaging in a ritual prayer. The wind blew his hat off during that event. And guess what happened to the priest? He was fired, immediately ejected from the cultic temple because he broke protocol during a sacred incantation, all right? There's another historical reference that the gods, if there was a mistake during one of the Olympic Games, during a competition, the gods might declare a do-over, and they want to have those athletes compete again. Isn't it silly? So very, very strict, and, and in Roman culture, there was even a kind of paranoia oftentimes attached how they would go about prayer, excessive use of names, excessive use of words, etc. There are some, some historical documents uh, about um, glossolalia. You know what glossolalia is? Russ, what's that? Speaking in, tongues. Speaking in tongues. And there's a reference to, uh, in Greek culture, not, not Roman culture, someone trying to invoke the blessings of one of the Greek deities, the Greek gods, and then just lets out this nonsensical babble, this, this gibberish, thinking it's going to invoke the blessings, you know, of, of the Greek deity. And, and, you know, it's just really fascinating. Now, can you think of Matthew chapter 6? What did Jesus say we Christians do when we pray. What did he say about many words? When you pray, do not use many words or vain repetitions like the heathen do. Why? Because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So we Christians don't have to ask the same thing over and over and over and over again or try to load up syllables or load up titles as though that's going to twist the arm of our, of our deity and engage in some kind of a contractual obligation. In fact, it's not uncommon in Roman religion, these contract religions, that you, in prayer, had a right 
to bring up something that, that the God owed you. Remember the deal? Last summer, I would write a poem, and I would read it publicly as an act of worship to you, and you, were gonna pro- and you promised me that I was going to have this harvest, or I was going to have this, whatever the contract was. It never happened, and you owe me. <laughs> and so that's how Rome, Roman believers, would approach prayer. Does it make sense? Fascinating when you, when you see some of the background uh, to how, how they would pray. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that Jesus actually never, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus never teaches the disciples how to pray or what they should pray. He only tells them that they are called to pray in intimacy and then he models it in John 17. But you don't get the Lord's pray, pray, prayer. Pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven. You don't find that in John's gospel. You find Jesus doing it. Not teaching in John's gospel. So um, this concept, whatever you ask in my name. Um, what do you think it means to ask in somebody's name? What, uh, what are some of the Greco-Roman and even Hebrew, Hebrew concepts behind a person's name? If you're sent as, if you're sent as a messenger, you're sent in someone's name, and you're there as a personal representative. If mm-hmm. you use the sender's name mm-hmm. to do business, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no cell phone, so it's, yeah. you're going to yeah. do something in your patron. Absolutely. And she's talking about authorized agency. When you are commissioned, Terry, you understand about commissions in the Navy and University and military commissions or police commissions. When you are commissioned, there is an authority greater than you are that is authorizing you to do a job. In this culture, you had commissions and you would go out as an authorized agent. An apostle was commissioned and went out as an authorized agent representing the sender. So when Paul sent out Timothy, he was an authorized agent of Paul. And when Timothy got to Ephesus and met with one of the churches there, they were obligated to show respect to Timothy as though Paul were standing in their very midst. Make sense? So when you ask according to someone's, to his name, you're talking about you're making an appeal based on the character and authority of Jesus Christ. You're appealing to his position of power and authority. He is the ultimate authorized agent of God, right? And we as his followers become authorized agents of him. Now, uh, let's, let me click this over. I want to show you something to you here. Um, Look at this. This is interesting. You need to see just a little bit of Greek here. So, um, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Kaihati an ite seta entu anamati. There's name. Anamati mu tauta poeso. That's beautiful, poeso. The root poesis, poeo, is where we get our English word poem. Poem beautiful. 
In other words, uh, the root word for poeo is the artist's ability to create something from nothing. A guitar player can pick up the guitar and write a song that was never played before and literally create a melody never sung before, never played before. Makes sense? God is able to do something in your life that you've never experienced before, and he will do it. It's beautiful language. Uh, Now, the the second clause of verse 13 said that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, beautiful language. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it again. There's that root word where we get a word poem. And it's something you literally do, something he's going to do. So um, can, do you think verse 13 and 14 are, is it, are they almost, um, is 14 a repeating of the idea of verse 13? Kind of looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Whenever you see that kind of doubling up of an idea, emphasis it's a way of saying hey I really want you to get this and so I'm going to say it twice that we can ask anything in his name and he will do it fascinating has anybody thought that this was just for the apostles what's that sir has the idea been or that maybe this was just for the apostles yeah uh, in fact there's a whole school of, the, of thought uh, that has to do with like dispensations okay right and the, when you get to 1 Corinthians uh, 13 where Paul talks about uh, a lot about miracles in chapter 12 chapter 14 but in 13 he talks about uh, there's going to come a time when tongues are done away with and all those things and they grab that and they talk about this is an age where the launching of the church mission is so important that God uniquely gifts and empowers the church with supernatural giftings, right? And supernatural answers to prayer. But there comes a point in which it ceases and it moves into the long haul of faith. Uh, it's what Jesus potentially predicts in the text in John 18. We're doubting Thomas sees him and says, Lord, I'm not going to believe till I see your wounds. Christ shows him the wounds. Thomas says, my Lord, my God, a tremendous theological confession. And then Jesus says, you get to see and believe. Blessed are those who believe and don't see. And that's a, a, a prophetic word for us, that we're those who believe without those miracles. And so... Uh, yeah, so there's a whole school of thought behind all that. Uh, absolutely. So, um, so based on what you're seeing right there, do you think that faith is all that is necessary for prayer to be answered? What do you think? You get 13 and 14. Is faith all that is necessary for prayer to be answered? Rebecca? No. No? Anybody? But if you had faith to move, just like a mustard seed, you know? Deanna? I think it's the 
use the same faith as the instrument, but God, he, I mean, Jesus, he, like, he died and he saved us. Like, he did it all. Um, so even our faith, yes, it saves us, and, and it's a hard thing to grasp, but it's, but our faith doesn't save us. Jesus still saved us, mm. not our faith, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's still the instrument. We okay, still have good. Good. And it's it's wrapped up in relationship. You can't you can't separate that at, at any level from the relationship of the father and the son and of us to the father and the son. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense. If Ed if Ed runs into someone and um, they're just feeling lonely, and he says, come on for supper, I have to work here a little bit longer, but just go on to the house. When you get there, um, just tell Andrea I sent you, because Ed and I have this relationship, and he knows me so well, he knows that I'm going to feed someone that he sends to the house. Like, let's just pretend there weren't cell phones for him to check all that out. He would just just based on our relationship and his know, his deep knowing of me, he could do that. I think that's all that this is about. It's a deep mm-hmm. knowing and relationship where you can feel confident about asking something because you're not going to ask something that you know that you know wouldn't glorify the son, the father, and the son. Mm-hmm. Ender, are there any supporting metrics for what you've just said in the text? Well, you have to back up. Sure, oh, the greater paragraph, in, in 8 the to paragraph, 14. Yeah. Because Jesus is saying, I only do what I hear my, what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Anything else? Kind of bouncing off what she said, this is a memory verse that I memorized, and it's a Actually, in John 15, so it's the next chapter. And I don't know if I'm going to be stealing this from you. You go right ahead. uh, 15.7, it says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I mean, that's kind of a repeat of what we're looking at right here. Yeah, yeah. And it's all about abiding. Are you abiding in Christ? Yeah. Are his words abiding in you? Read 16.23 to 24. Sorry, I left it by one more caller. (laughs) Okay, 1623, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is something he keeps hammering. Mm -hmm. But you get the idea that if you ask, I, I am deeply motivated to provide. <clears throat> but what are the terms and conditions? Does this hearken or hint at a, a Greco-Roman contract religion? Do you see any? Do you see anything here? Any strictures? Any boundaries? Any terms and conditions? Any qualifiers, Russ? Do you see anything? Not really. He just says anything. Do you ask it in my name? Of course, you have to be in His name, and you have to like have a relationship. With him. Okay. So, do, so start there, Russ. You picked up on one. In my name. Okay, so 
So if it's anything, can we be absurd for just a moment? Can you say, Lord, I just ask you to bless me. I am going to go get drunk, play poker, and shoot up a saloon and get into a fight in your name. And I just ask you to bless me. <laughs> Is there a problem with that? Is Why? That relationship thing. It, it destroys the relationship and is not, Philip? It's not glorifying the Father. Uh, there you go. There's the, other, there's the other metric. Will it glorify the Father and is it in keeping with the name, the character? You know. So if it's not within the boundary of the name, the authorized agent, the character that he represents, the values, remember Luke 249, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Literally the stuff of my father's house. And so if it's outside of the boundaries of the business of the house of the father, which concerns itself with that, which is going to glorify him, and in the name, within the character, then I don't think God is obligated to answer it. <laughs> but if it's in keeping with his name, and in keeping with his business, the kind of things that, that Jesus is going to do, that would do, is doing, we're going to join in on that, uh, that which would glorify God, then I think he is radically committed to answering that prayer. Make sense, Terry? Is it possible you go in good faith Absolutely. That simple. Yes. Yes. And Andrew, if you really embed this in context, this was all shared right on the heels of what event? What's about to happen? Actually, we're getting down to probably hours, a very few hours. What's about to happen? Yep. The arrest, the betrayal, the arrest leading to the crucifixion. It's all breaking this. And by the way, is there not a kind of how do I word this, this uh, incredible sense in which Jesus has, has got it together right now? <laughs> you know, I mean, I have, a, I have a, a neurotic breakdown if I've got to go to the dentist in 30 minutes, you know, and I'm just, oh, I, I hate the dentist, I hate the dentist, you know. Who wants to go to the dentist get a shot? i got to get an allergy, I hate shots, you know. We're having a meltdown because we've got to get a shot, right? He knows what's coming. <laughs> right, Russ? He knows and look how calm, look at the genius. To be teaching at this level, knowing he's on the heels of the worst possible experience he could go through. But because they 
A very Jewish frame of mind. Their Jewish frame of mind. The very real sweaty, hungry person that gets tired that they've walked around with is going to be gone. So doesn't he have to sit down and explain to them, you're going to pray in me? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, how would they have ever known? Yeah. I mean, some of this is just practical. Mm-hmm. But we've never had any other option because we could never just walk up to sweaty, hungry Jesus and say, hey, what are we doing for supper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look at verse the, the final clause of verse 12. Amen, amen. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, he will do because I go to the Father. What is the relationship between proximity I'm going to go to the Father and answering prayer. The last clause of verse 12, integrated with 13 and 14. Well, they would think he's standing right next to God, so the closer you are, the, the more you can ask that easy. Yeah. I mean. yeah. Yeah. In fact, you read uh, Tommy in chapter 16. Up to this point, you've not asked for anything. He says it twice. So far, you've asked nothing in my name. You just told them to do it, and then admits in chapter 16, they haven't done it. Not yet. Because once he goes to the Father, everything changes. And who comes in his place? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes. Makes sense. So something very, very special is going on with this thing called prayer. Because he, in terms of proximity, is with the Father. And because of those relationships, Andrea, that the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father. If you see one, you see the other. How's that for proximity? They're so close to get one, you get the other. And Jesus, as the authorized agent, the authorized representative of, is saying, because I am with the Father... And because you're asking about something that has to do with the Father's business, I'll make sure it gets done. Because I am still committed to bringing glory to the Father. Right? Which is what you get at in uh, chapter 15 and chapter 16 as well. That we're doing something to advance the kingdom and the business of the Father. That's why we're doing this thing. So... um, Something about prayer, um, I'm not sure how much value, because I've been reading this book by Catherine Morgan. She was healed of some kind of TB-related lung disease, and she prayed for months to be healed. Finally, she said, God, whatever you want in my life, I'm okay with it. Heal me. If that's the best idea, I just run into it. All rights I've got, anything that you, you might do for me, I'm okay. We're we're tight, you me, I love you. We're, we got a good relationship here. I'm not I'm not gonna claim any rights. I'm just gonna give it to you. And what happened? And she was healed yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a formula because God does not work with formulas, not a 
Sure, sure. But, but again, though, but look at, at Matthew 6, 9. When you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done. Where? On earth. How? Just like it's done in heaven. There you go. Is it my will or is it going to be his will? And if I, I guarantee if Chris Perry goes about forcing his will on the situation, it will not end well. It's not going to work. Never has. Never has. No contract Roman religions here, no. Would you be disappointed if I pointed out uh, a Navy story? I thought it would be a good Marine story. A Marine story? It, well, it, could, it, could, it could very well be. <laughs> Actually, it could. It has to do with drinking. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of drinking in the Marine Corps. Yes. Uh, a failed contract. Uh, Naples, Italy. side of the Liberty boat and the coxswain, that's the guy that drives the ship, had to reach over and grab him by his collar and pull him back on. So he's now coming up to the ship, not only drunk, but wet, sorry. And I heard him on his knees next to his bunk saying, Jesus, God, cure me of this and I'll never, ever, ever drink again, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that's first of great luck. Needless to say, he was still drunk in the morning. So there is a failed contract yeah. that yeah. was yeah. obviously very insincere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And there you go. Yeah, if we're not careful, is it not true that we are very much Western people? Right? Are we, oh, there you go. I mean, are we materialistic or what? If things go well in my material world, it's a good day. Right? And so, with our very Western mindsets, you look at verse 13 and 14 and you go, hot dog, it's Christmas. I get to ask what I want. You know, God signs the check, the blank check, He signs it, I get to fill in the amount. And I focus in on whatever, <laughs> whatever, and, and yet that is not the case at all. So what is prayer? Let me offer this definition, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Prayer is a kind of uh, familial dialogue, Andrew, a kind of family conversation about matters of honor and shame, centering around the kingdom business of the Father, Prayer is a seeking out of the will of the Father by the believer and the provisional response of the Father to make it a reality on earth as it is in heaven. And that is prayer. Jesus would never be content with a Western kind of mindset on prayer. He just couldn't do it at all. So, let me turn it over to you guys. What do you think? Um... 
What difference, if we could really get our hearts and our heads wrapped around this, what difference could this make in our prayer lives? What do you think? Exactly. That's good. Someone else. What is the significance of this for us as individuals, but certainly as the corporate body of Christ? I think we need to pray with authority and confidence that God's going to answer prayers and not be scared of praying to God. Mm-hmm. I really does do think it has a lot to do with our conception of God. We really, really believe that He loves us and wants the best for us. Then it changes the whole way we pray. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. We have a hard time believing anybody can really love us, knowing who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned psychological baggage. Yeah. There it is. She would just be miraculously saved, and she was just thoroughly. I mean, it, it was it was quite a um, boost, booster, bolster to our prayer life For and, sure. and faith. Yeah, isn't it beautiful, Russ? Do you think that that kind of a prayer is in keeping with the name of Jesus? I believe he loved that lady and, and, and yeah. was very much in accord with our prayers. You think it's all about the Great Commission and the business of the Father? I think God's ready to answer those kind of prayers. I think he is. I think so. Chris, I like what Richard Foster said in Celebration of Discipline, that prayer is, um, like you said, a familial conversation with God. And it's more, it's not for him that you talk to, it's for you to hear what he has to say. Because God is always in communion with himself, and whatever he has for himself is righteous and good. But we pray, we about what has been done for our lives, is there anything on this earth that really ultimately matters other than the salvation we've already had in Christ? Yeah. Well spoken. Yeah. Yeah, well spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, just, just as a, a teaser, in keeping with the heart of Jesus, could somebody read chapter 14, verse 15? You'll have to look it up. John, yeah, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't that something? (laughs) The very next words 
after that sentence, if you ask any, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. And by the way, <laughs> if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, you'll do this. The things I ask of you, you'll do it, right? It's about family, isn't it, Russ? It's about love. It's about love. Yes, sir. Well spoken. Like, may I 